All right, so this morning, uh, finally, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22-23. The verse is this one, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So, to begin with, I want to know how many of you have, over the course of your your lives as Christians, identified this verse as one uh, to commit to memory uh, and to, to commit to heart. A lot of Christians uh, do uh, do see this verse of all the many verses in scriptures. Like, ah, I want to know that one. Um, it's one that I myself memorized a long time ago. It's a it's a verse that I I find I use a lot in my own. Uh, prayer, just sort of as a, an outline for prayer as I'm praying for my own sanctification and praying for that of others. Uh, it's a verse that, uh, that our whole family has learned together, so all my children uh, have this verse committed to heart as well. And, um, and so again, that's not at all uncommon, a verse that's really familiar to us uh, as Christians and, and beloved by the church. And I do think that, uh, that by and large, we understand it well enough. We understand, as part of the appeal, uh, is that we, we feel like we understand what's being said here, that the, that the, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, are, are these nine things. Um, and as we look at the list, uh, we have a, a good sense of what is meant by these words, love, joy, peace, uh, so forth. So my, my purpose this morning is not really to, uh, to pretend like you don't know what I know you know, um, nor is it really my purpose to, uh, to try to take away from your understanding anything that you understand. I only want to, to add to it, to enrich your appreciation of this verse, and particularly by helping you to see Jesus in it. Um, Jesus is not mentioned in this verse. Um, but I hope to show you uh, it, it really is all about him. So uh, let's start here. When we ask of Scripture, why did Jesus come? Uh, one of the answers that we, that we hear is that Jesus came to give us the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus come? He came to give us the Holy Spirit. So... We hear this a number of places in Jesus' story as he's about to, um, to begin his public ministry. John the Baptist arises as the forerunner to announce the coming of the Messiah. And the one thing that, that we hear John saying to his disciples is, this one who is coming after me who is mightier than I, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's coming to give you the Holy Spirit. Later, um, we see Jesus at the, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem on the, the last day of the feast. And part of the, the ritual ceremony of this day on the Feast of Tabernacles is that the priests would go out to a stream outside the temple and they would get water and, and pitchers and then they would proceed back into the temple and and pour out water around the altar of the Lord. And, and in some of that, they were, it was, a, it was a harvest feast, so they were praying for rain. 
but beyond that, there was an, an eschatological expectation that, that God would, as the prophets had foretold, pour out his Holy Spirit uh, upon his people someday. And so they were, they were praying for that too. And so in John 7, it, it says uh, that on this last day of the feast, Jesus stood uh, and lifted up his, his voice as the high priest of the new covenant and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He said, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John comments and says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So I've come um, to give to you the Holy Spirit, believe in me, and you receive the Spirit, not yet, but when I am glorified. So a bit later, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, as he's preparing to ascend again unto the Father in heaven, Luke 24, 49, Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So now the time has come. I'm returning to the Father, entering into my glory, uh, and I will receive from the Father the promised gift of the Holy Spirit and pour it out on you. And then this is Peter's own interpretation of uh, the events of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 33. It says, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. So why has Jesus come? Uh, Jesus has come to, uh, to give us his Holy Spirit. So as we, uh, as we stand with the, uh, with the disciples uh, at the ascension of Christ and we, and we watch him um, be received into the clouds, with understanding that he is now uh, going back to heaven from which he has come, uh, we want to appreciate in that, that scene that, that Jesus is now, the Son is now going back to heaven in the possession of things that he did not have when he came. He came to accomplish some things. He'd accomplished those things. And now, in the possession of what he accomplished, he's returning to the Father. And, and what does Jesus have? He has two things. Um, he, has, he has purchased our redemption. Right? Um, in that he has, has paid the price for our deliverance, the atonement of our sins, and his sacrifice for us at the cross. So... So as our Redeemer, he has purchased our redemption. Um, but moreover, Jesus has also united himself in the incarnation to our fallen humanity and, and passing through the cross and the grave and out again through the resurrection on the other side. Jesus now ascends to heaven in our humanity glorified. Right? So he, he came... In his deity, assumes our humanity through the cross and the resurrection that emerges in the possession of our redemption and ascends into the Father in, in our humanity glorified in his person. Um, he then, we understand, in returning to, to heaven, enters into the, 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 the spiritual 
Holy of Holies. The top of the mountain of God in, in heaven is the high priest of the new covenant. He, he enters into the presence of his Father um, there to, to intercede for us. And, uh, and, and Jesus, not just as the, the divine eternal Son of God, but particularly as the divine eternal Son of God who, who is our Redeemer now and is, is, is standing there in our humanity, um, glorified. Um, Jesus in the presence of the Father is filled with the Holy Spirit. So he, a man in our humanity as our Redeemer is filled with the Holy Spirit in the presence of the Father. And and Jesus, we, you can imagine being filled with the Holy Spirit, is, is full of and abounding in what? Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and, and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So that's how you want to see Jesus in His, his ascension and His exaltation in our humanity, glorified as our Redeemer in the presence of the Father, full of the Holy Spirit uh, and abounding in all of these, uh, these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so who is Jesus there? As you, as you think of him in, at his ascension in the presence of the Father, who is he? And part of the answer to the question is, he's the second Adam. That's who he is. He's the first man of the new creation. And, and the first man of the new creation is a man in whom humanity has been glorified and is now immortal beyond uh, the reach of, of death. And full of the Holy Spirit being reconciled uh, to God forever. So that's the, that's the second Adam. That's who Jesus Christ is. And now, as the second Adam, it is Jesus who is anointed to be king of the new creation. So what lies before him now is, is the messianic kingdom in, in all of its glory. So beginning with Jesus... As the, as, the, as the second Adam in the beginning of the new creation, now all things will be made new. Um, a new heavens, a new earth, a new humanity to inhabit the new heavens and, and a new earth. Right? All that now is before Jesus as he uh, rejoices in the presence of the Father. And so it's in, in that state then, as the second Adam, high priest of the new covenant, at the, at the dawn of the new creation, that Jesus from heaven then sends his Holy Spirit unto his apostles, unto his church in the earth. That's the promise of the Father. And Jesus can, can do that now, having purchased our redemption and being in our humanity glorified in the presence of the Father. So, one thing to appreciate before we, we move on from there is that what you're seeing in, in this moment, right, as, as Jesus, 
The second Adam, the dawn of the new creation, out of his deity united to our humanity, as he, being full of the Holy Spirit and all the fruits of the Spirit, sends forth the Spirit in the church and the earth, what you're seeing is the temple of the Lord, or what the temple of the Lord was intended to represent to us. So what was the temple of the Lord? The temple of the Lord was the house of the Lord. It dwelt upon uh, the top of the mountain of God and, and the city of God. And, and that was, the temple of the Lord was the dwelling of God, where God dwelled, but particularly where God dwelled with his people. That's what the temple was. And, and so the people of God would ascend the mountain of the Lord and they would enter into the city of God. And there at the temple was the house of God where God was there to dwell with his people. The people would find the high priest and the sacrifices and the intercession through which they would be able to receive the forgiveness of sins and enter into the presence of God and worship and commune with God. And so the, the New Testament reality, the fulfillment of all that the temple signified is not a place but a person. So remember that Jesus um, said when he entered into the temple in Jerusalem in John 2, he said to his enemies, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And John said he was speaking in the temple of his body. So it's, it's, it's Jesus, the eternal son, divine son of God, united to our humanity, glorified, having purchased our redemption, full of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Father and the Holy of Holies in glory. That's what, that's what the temple is. And one of the things that, as the, uh, as the Bible gives us forward-looking visions to the kingdom of the Messiah, one of the things that we're seeing is that out of the temple, flowing from before the throne of God and the Holy of Holies in His temple, comes forth what? A river. Right? A river flowing out of the temple from before the throne of God, out of the temple out of the city, towards the east, out into the land. And so this is Ezekiel 47, I think. Um, and the effect of this river going out from, from the, before the throne of God is to bring dead things to life and to, and to bear fruit and to bring healing unto the nations. You see it in, um, in Ezekiel 47, it's there. And then John sees the same thing in the last scene of the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, spilling over into 22. John says of the new heavens and the new earth, I saw no temple in it. I didn't see a house, uh, a, uh, a structure like a house there, as, as maybe we thought that we were going to see when we got to heaven. He said, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So God, particularly God dwelling in Christ the Son, in our humanity glorified, there's your temple. And he said, and he, the angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. So where are we? We're back in the Garden of Eden. The, triver, the river with the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So you got Christ is the temple, the, the river, which is the Holy Spirit, flowing from Christ out unto the land, out unto the people, and the effect is to bring the dead to life and 
fruitfulness and healing onto the people. That's the picture that we have seen. And you go back to, um, to that line in, in John 7 that I mentioned on the, the Feast of, of Tabernacles. And, and, and Jesus stands there at the last day of the feast. And again, he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And when it says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, whose heart is that? I had always read that as out of the heart of the one who believes in Jesus. But some commentators think that that's not the way that should be understood. But it's out of the heart of Jesus. So it's like this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to to me, the Son of God, the second Adam, high priest of the new covenant. Let him come to me and drink, for he who believes in me, as the scripture has said concerning me, out of his heart, the Messiah's heart, will flow rivers of living water. So where does the Spirit come from? It comes from heaven, yes. Particularly it comes from Jesus. It comes out of the Spirit in His heart, out of the Spirit in His life as a Redeemer, as the second Adam, as the High Priest of the New Covenant. The, the, the new creation has begun with Him, and out of Him then comes this power of the new creation. And that is what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, of course, is God, the Almighty, the third person of the Trinity. But particularly as the Holy Spirit comes out of Jesus, ascended to heaven unto us, the Holy Spirit is the transformative power of the new creation. That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's what Jesus has come to give to us. And so, and so when the Holy Spirit is done now doing His work as He comes forth from the Son and from the Father in heaven... Uh, when the Holy Spirit is done, everything will be made new. The end of this is new heavens, new earth, the fulfillment of everything that John saw there in Revelation 21, 21, and a new humanity to inhabit that, to dwell with God on His holy mountain, to be in communion with Him, to worship Him. And nothing will enter into that world that defiles or is blasphemous. It's heaven, right? That's where the Holy Spirit has come. You can think of it as the Holy Spirit has come from heaven to bring heaven to earth. Um, and that is, that is the new creation. Um, another little connection that I would, that I would make here. There were, uh, again, in the times of the prophets, visions that were seen, and oracles that were given to this effect. One would be Isaiah 35, 5-7. The prophet says, Then the eyes of the blind, he's looking forward to this day, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. So people will be healed. The lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb, the tongue of the dumb shall sing. He says, For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. It's where a rain will come. Water will come out of heaven. Um, it will turn this desert into... Into a wonderful, uh, fruitful garden, and, and people's lives will be will be healed. Um, so that's what we're talking about now. And it's this very verse, apparently, 
that, that Jesus cited when the disciples of John came to him and said, are you the Messiah or not? And, and in Matthew eleven four, Jesus said, go and tell John the things which you he- see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. Right? The things that Isaiah foresaw in Isaiah 35, those things are being fulfilled now. For I have come to bring the water, to bring the rain, to heal the people, to bring fruitfulness to the land. Okay? Any questions at this point? Yes, sir. I'm trying to connect in what ways we are and in what ways we are not also temples of the Holy Spirit. Since Jesus defined all these things as Jesus himself being the temple. So, in what ways are we the temple of the Holy Spirit? I mean, when that's mentioned, is it just live a clean life on the cloud of your body because the Holy Spirit lives and works within you? So, so don't sin, don't sin in any ways of the cloud of your body. Is that all of it? Or does it mean that we are also carrying? Right. So it's a great question. Um, so there is a, um, I would say in the, in the development of the, the theme of the temple through scripture, um, that there is a unique sense in which Jesus Christ is himself the temple of the Lord. But then there's, a, uh, there's another, uh, another level of understanding where he is also the cornerstone uh, of the, the church of the temple. So he's the cornerstone built upon the foundations of the prophets of the apostles. We now as living stones are being built up into a temple of the Lord. So, um, so the, as, as we are brought to faith in Christ, through faith in Christ, we're brought into union with Christ, and in union with Christ, partake with Him in His death, in His resurrection, more than that, His ascension, um, His joy in the presence of, of the Father. So He's bringing us into this to be a part of this. And then, personally, each and of us, as living stones, like you say, Paul says, that we are temples of the Lord, insofar as the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we are being called out of this world unto this sacred purpose, sanctified, consecrated, um, that our, our lives should be filled with the worship of God. Um, is it true then that the Holy Spirit uh, bears fruit in our lives? Yes. Does, it, does the Holy Spirit flow from us out to others in a way to bring others into the new creation and into the temple of the Lord? That seems appropriate to me. Yeah. Um, so that's a, um, that's a great way to, and I think a biblical way to expand upon this, to see, you know, the, how the mustard seed becomes, um, this great tree whose branches fill the earth. So as we're in Christ, we're not just in Christ as in we're partakers of what he himself has earned, but we're also in Christ in that we are participating somehow in the spread of the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful, right? I mean, is, does anybody have a reservation about drawing that conclusion? Um, the Spirit gives us gifts of the Spirit that we might minister to one another. 
the effect of the ministry of the church is to bring others to faith. In, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Um, any other questions? All right, so the, the other thing to, um, to, to complete the picture here, it's important to understand then that Jesus having died, risen, ascended unto the Father, and now being in the presence of the Father, full of the Holy Spirit, abounding in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, sound control, as he sends his Holy Spirit unto the earth uh, as the transformative power of the new uh, creation, the transformation is not going to take place instantaneously and entirely in that moment. But rather, something begins. You get the new creation, breaks into the old creation um, here and there, and begins to, seed is planted, the thing begins to grow and to spread, and this is going to continue throughout the coming age until the return of Christ. And the ultimate consummation or the perfection of the new creation um, necessarily, rightly, awaits for the return of the king. So, so, so we're going to get a progressive transformation um, in this world in the present age between the first and the second comings of Christ. So at this moment then, where we are now between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, what do we see? We see the old creation. It's still there. Um, and everything that characterizes it as that fallen world with all its... Sin and disease and, and death. It's still there, but it's passing away, is what we're to, is what we're to understand. First John 3, John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world, and the world is passing away. Right? So the old creation is still there, still kicking, right? Like the dragon in Revelation 12, he knows his time is short. Um, so there's still some fight in it, but the world, the old creation is passing away. Um, and at the same time, the new creation has now arrived. It's, it's entered in, it's breaking out like, like Aaron's rod, right? uh, beginning to, to blossom and to, to show itself. It's coming and has now come and it's come to conquer, um, to bring the, the old creation uh, to its end, to be done with it, uh, so that there would only be the new creation, Christ, and that's the Messianic kingdom. And where do we see then now the new creation in the midst of the old creation? And the answer is in the church and in the lives of the Christian people, the worship of the church, the ministry of the church. That's where, that's where the new creation is now, um, working, growing, expanding in the midst of the old creation, which is passing away. So here's an important verse, Hebrews 6, 4 through 5. The apostle says there, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. He's talking about the experience of people in Christ's church. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word and the power of the age to come. What is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the power of the age to come, of the, of the new creations, the transformative power of the old creation. That's what we have as it work in our midst, in the church and the Holy Spirit. All right, so, uh, so now we want to take, um, from holding on to this theme, it's kind of the, the backdrop, 
and the language that we're going to adopt. Uh, we, we want to turn to what Paul's saying here about the, f- the flesh and the spirit. Okay? Um, and think of it in those terms. So, so when we look at the Christian man, not as he will be in heaven, but as he is now, at the time between the first and the second coming of Christ, what do we see? Well, essentially, we see the same dynamic that we see when we look in the world. That is, we see the old man. He's still there. That's what Paul calls the flesh. The old man of the old creation is still there. He's still the old man. And we know his ways, um, how he thinks, uh, what he lusts after, right? He's there, but he's passing away. But we also see in the Christian man, the new man, Christ, which is the the new creation which is breaking through. As, um, as Christ ascended unto to heaven to pour out His Spirit upon His disciples, He sent them to preach the gospel to the world. And it's through the preaching of the gospel that Christ the Redeemer is revealed unto His elect. And so uh, throughout the world, as they, they hear of Jesus in the gospel, um, through the faith of God's elect, their eyes are opened. Um, they believe in Christ. They receive Him for their salvation. Um, he gives unto them their Holy Spirit and they're what? Born again. Or they're born from above. Born of God. So a new life begins in them. And that is the new creation which is begun in Jesus. Now through the Holy Spirit um, beginning to, to bring new life unto, unto our lives. And the, and the Spirit now is going to dwell in us and, and work in us and through us. Onto, onto sanctification, just as the Spirit is doing in the world through the church, right? So, when we, we went back, we went through two weeks ago, the various things that Paul says about the Holy Spirit in his letters to Galatians and Romans. And, and what we heard Paul saying in those, in those passages when he's speaking to Christians is not, um, you know, s- seek the Spirit so you can have the Spirit. But rather what Paul says is, you have the Spirit. He dwells in you. Uh, You wouldn't be believers. Uh, You wouldn't be believing Christians um, if if you didn't have the Spirit. So so that's not, you don't care how you feel. You have the Spirit, is is Paul's teaching uh, regarding the Spirit when he's teaching, when he's speaking to Christians. And furthermore, we we hear Paul saying, "And, and, and what you need to do is not... Um, to, you know, to get the Spirit working in your life. He is working. That's why He's there. Um, He's at work in you. And so when you're among the things that you're experiencing within your own soul, in your own thoughts and your own feelings, is the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life, the transformative power of the new creation. So, so what is Paul's exhortation then? The, the, you have the Spirit, Christians. The Spirit is at work in you. What's the exhortation? The exhortation is walk in the Spirit. You have the Spirit. The Spirit is at work in you. Born again of God. The seed of God is in you in the Holy Spirit. The new creation is coming in your life to make you a new man in Christ. Now walk in the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, as we've said, it means discern 
the leading of your spirit in your life, in your soul, and follow the spirit. Follow the spirit's leading from within. That's that's the exhortation. All right. So, so what does that look like? Well, I would say it it looks like this. So, let's say you're a Christian. You're living in the world in the present age, and uh, you're just going about your day. And and somebody enters into your space, and the sinner provokes you. This this other sinful human being provokes you, as they will do. Uh, Inconsiderately, steps on your toes. Gets in your face, insults you, um, saying things behind your back, whatever. You know what people do, right? And and so when this happens, um, the old man, who's still there, gets ready to react the way he always reacts. Which is what? Defends yourself by going after this guy. Right? This is my enemy. I hate this guy. How dare he? I'm going to stand up for my rights. I'm not going to take this. He insults me. I'm going to insult him. He does evil to me. I'm going to do evil to him. Right? And even if you're too much of a coward to actually act on it, you do it all in your heart, in your head. Right? I'm going to... I'll tear him up. And you belittle him and you hold him in contempt. And if you have a chance to talk about him behind his back, then you're going to do that, right? That's what the old man does. That's what he's been doing your whole life. So you know the old man, right? Um, But at the same moment, then something else arises within your soul. And... The first thing that that something else says to you is what? Jesus. So that's a point I really want to stress here. Which is that sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit. But it's the work that the Spirit does in our lives through faith in Jesus Christ. So, So you will experience the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the new creation in your life, when and only when Jesus is set before your eyes, before your mind, uh, and you are led by the Spirit to, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, and believe in Him. So it's not like you're a Christian and you're going along and some reason for, for reasons that you can't really articulate, you just... You just feel benevolent and, and you just feel like you want to love people and give them a hug. It's, it's not like that. right? It's rather like you want, to, you want to tear them up. But then you remember Jesus. Because the Holy, because that's what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit has come to bear witness to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit comes and reminds us of Jesus and all that we know about Jesus through, through the Gospel. And when we see Jesus and who He is and what He's done for us and what He is now and what's coming through Him... Then, then we, like we have a change of heart. Like there's another option. Rather than, than yielding to the old man and doing what we know that the old man would do because he's done it so many times before. But you feel humble before Jesus. You say, well, it doesn't matter if he's insulted me or if he's been inconsiderate and stepped in my space. And who cares about my, my rights? Right? You see his humanity. You see him as a fellow, uh, fellow sinner. You, you pity him. Pray for him. He's done you evil, but you want to do him good. Right? Um, 
That's what happens. And, and you follow that, that's walking in the Spirit. Right? So, again, what I want you to appreciate is that, that when this happens, when the Holy Spirit, which you have, which is working it in you through faith in Jesus Christ, leads you on a totally different path, this, this path of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, um, what you're experiencing literally is the life of Jesus in you. At that moment in heaven, Jesus as your Redeemer and your humanity in the presence of the Father is full of the Holy Spirit and abounding with all these fruits the utmost degree possible for humanity. And it is out of that, out of His resurrection life, that He is pouring forth His Holy Spirit to you. And the Spirit is bringing the life of Jesus to you. And you are partaking in that life. But the new creation is, is coming out and beginning to blossom and to bear fruit in your life. Understand? So there's no mention of Jesus in this passage, but there is no passage like this one without, without Jesus. And that's what I, I want to bring to your, your thinking about these things. I've got a few closing points, but I want to give you an opportunity to comment or ask questions. Yes, sir. strange to see the, the last in this list of nine as a negative instead of a positive. Literally, the word is like self-mastery, which I love. Um, so it's like you've been a slave to sin and the baser parts of your fallen nature, uh, and now the Lord has come and restored order to your souls who can walk in the freedom of the Spirit. Uh, so that's kind of the force of that word self-control there. Um, again, I, I thought, you know, one, one of the things I had thought about doing in this class was going through each of these nine uh, things. There's, there's just more to say. Each one is a major theme in Scripture. Love, um, of course, is huge. It's the fulfillment of the law. It's the, um, the, the greatest of the spiritual gifts. Um, and we could talk about you know, how to define love, but mostly we know love by what it does, uh, which is that it happily uh, renders unto others that which is their due, renders unto God His glory, and renders unto our fellow man um, all the respect and, and kindness and care that we um, should show unto them. Joy, you understand, um, joy, and it's not just, you know, the common happiness of uh, fallen creatures in this world, but it's the transcendent joy 
in our salvation, which is partaking of Jesus' joy in the presence of the Father, peace, suffering, you know that is, patience, kindness, his golden faithfulness to your word, to your promises, to the people who rely upon you, gentleness, self-control, done this one, um, goodness, that was the other one, right? So, um, so anyways, I won't dwell on that point. I'll leave you to, to continue to think about those nine things, but, uh, but as you do so, keep, keep the ascended Christ in the background as the one from whom the Spirit comes. So what I, uh, these are some of the conclusions that I would, um, that would draw. First, in, um, in, in sanctification, our part in sanctification, our theologians uh, find a distinction in Scripture between uh, two parts, mortification and vivification. Mortification is putting to death sin and the flesh, the old man, and vivification is uh, nourishing, strengthening the life of the new man in your love for God. And, and Paul's, in this passage, Paul's emphasis in his exhortation on the sanctification is positive. It's not, um, don't do the deeds of the flesh, though that's there. But it is positive. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you pursue God uh, and you pursue uh, the, the life of the Spirit in, in the Son, the ascendant Son, in the presence of the Father, uh, and you will not do the deeds of the flesh. Um, that's the strategy. Um, again, I would, would stress in the, your own sanctification, what you should express, expect in, in this age is progress, but not perfection. The, the, the old man will be there to some degree, uh, to the end of your days, until Christ returns. So be happy with progress. Don't expect perfection until Christ comes. Um, thirdly, you can see how this is to be pursued through the means of grace. Um, so if the Spirit works through the Gospel um, to, uh, to, to lead us to the fruitfulness of the new creation, then there's nothing better that, that we can do than to set Christ in the Gospel before our eyes and to do so often. So read the Word and sit under the, the teaching and the preaching of the Word and pray unto the Father in the name of the Spirit to partake of the Lord's Supper. It, to the degree that you become unmindful of Jesus and of the Gospel, to that degree um, the Holy Spirit's voice within you is, is diminished. Uh, and so to continually to bring Gospel truths before your, your mind is, is the best way uh, to be to be ready for the Spirit's movement in your life when that guy gets in your face and provokes you. Um, the fourth thing I was going to say is you can appreciate how then this fruitful life, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, is a witness to the resurrection of Christ. Um, what we're talking about doing here, in, in the midst of this world, with all that we are faced with in the world, to bring forth love and joy and peace, and it's not easy. It's quite impossible. So for such a thing to happen in your life um, is, is evidence of a power. And we know what that power is. It's the power of, of the risen Christ at that moment, at that time, sending his spirit uh, unto you. Um, fifthly, you can see where this would increase your assurance. 
assurance of grace and salvation to experience um, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life and to see this fruit uh, born, uh, whatever imperfections may be there, though if it's the genuine thing, um, what can you conclude? Uh, but that you have the seed of God in you and the Holy Spirit is at work in you and that you are indeed a child of of God and that what the Lord has begun, he will certainly complete unto the last days. You can see how the, um, the fruit of faith um, is, uh, it, it helps to strengthen our assurance and grace. Uh, and then the last thing that I would say is that, that one of the things that we, that we do with this fruit when it's born in our life is we bring it to, to God in worship. So I just happened to be reading through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, I couldn't help but think of this as I read um, Deuteronomy 26. Um, as the Israelites are about to follow Joshua through the Jordan and into the land of Canaan to take possession of uh, the land, uh, the Lord has, through Moses, uh, anticipated that somewhere in the land the Lord will, will set his name and, and the people will come to this place and they will, they will worship God on the mountain. So we now know... Um, what that anticipates. And, um, and one of the things that they're supposed to do when they enter into the land and, and first begin to harvest the fruits of the land, right, of the, of, of the new creation, ultimately. Uh, he says this, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord God, your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, so the first fruits, which you shall bring from your land the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, that's Jesus, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. And then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And he shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian about to perish. And he went down to Egypt and dwelt there few in number. And there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. And then we cried out to the Lord our God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. So the Lord delivered us from our sins. He has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. So what do we do with the fruit of the Spirit? We thank God for it. We bring it to God in worship, and we thank Him for making us partakers of this life and His Son. Shall we pray? Oh Lord God, from, uh, from this point forward, as we remember this uh, verse that we have remembered and that we do love and recite often, we pray, God, uh, that the, the, the theme of, of Jesus as our ascendant Redeemer, as the second Adam, uh, we'll, uh, we'll also, Lord God, return to our, to our thoughts and as we reflect upon all that Jesus has done for us and all that he is for us and will yet be for us, 
Um, let us rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Would you pray, God, for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives, and may we, um, like Aaron's rod, uh, bring forth, Lord, the life of the new creation, even in the midst of the old. We thank you so much, Lord, for giving us your Son, what a glorious Savior he is. We're glad, Lord, this day to be gathered in his name, to know that his name is written upon our foreheads, and that his Spirit has come to dwell forever in our hearts. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.